G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. 20. As we do on Tuesday, good to connect in with Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you again. Alex, we want to touch on uh, investing for beginners today, but let's touch on a listener question before we get underway. Graham emailed through a question and uh, passed it on and uh, says this, at the start of the year we were talking about negative interest rates. Can you explain how we have transitioned to two mortgage rate increases in the last few months? I think it might even be three. Uh, Give us your insights Mm. here, Alex. Yes. Well, it's a great question. So thank you, Graham, for uh, sending that in. Um, I want to answer the question in two ways based on the way I've interpreted it. Um, the first way I've interpreted it is, is <laughs> why can uh, why as human beings are we so poor at predicting the future? And uh, by uh, human beings, I'm referring here to economists, uh, commentators like yours truly, and so forth, when it comes to issues of economics. Um, and I want to start by addressing that issue of our failure and uh, inability to predict by two Bible passages. Okay, So the first one's from Proverbs 22. It says, A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simpleton never looks and suffers the consequences. So that's the first one. The second one is a little bit different. It says, and this is from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it says, Since no one knows the future, Future, who can tell someone else what is to come? So here's two passages. They often may even appear to be in slight conflict with each other, but I think they're really helpful when you're talking about economics uh, and any sort of predictions that people are making. The first thing is, as it says here, a sensible man looks for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. So I think when we look at the world today and some of the economic issues, there are some really uh, obvious long-term problems ahead. The most obvious one is the enormous debt levels uh, that the Western world is uh, currently carrying. And that is going to ultimately lead to a loss of standard of living. I think that's guaranteed. It's just a question of when and how long and how, you know, how fast does it take place. The second one, though, uh, which is more a short-term issue, and that is predicting the future, whether we're talking interest rates, uh, we're talking the stock market. We, you know, if, if you said to me, you know, Alex, where's the stock market going to be in six months or 12 months? The reality is I, I haven't got a clue and, and no one else does. Now, we can make guesstimates based on the way the economy looks and so forth, but the reality is people can't you know they don't know and so i think the important thing here from a christian perspective is when we listen to experts you know whether it's economists or or whatever you know the reserve bank's full of phd economists um you know and they said in november last year that they wouldn't put up rates until 2024 and here we are in uh, the middle of 2022 and they've already had three rate rises already so far and so the question is why you know why why did they why did they not pick it why did i certainly wasn't expecting them to do so much uh, so soon 
why is that the case? And I think the reality is it's because these things are very complex. There's so many variables at play uh, and there are so many unexpected things that you, you can't control, like, say, a war coming along and so forth. So there's all these factors at play. And so as a, a believer, I think we've got to steward God's capital that he gives us in light of that permanent uncertainty that exists. So that's the sort of first issue I'd say to answer that question. And that's just to giving the honest view um, that, you know, there's no such thing as a true expert in that regard in terms of predicting the future. So people should be very careful about who they listen to in that regard. The second part, though, of the question is what's happening that's actually causing this big shift in interest rates? So what's really happened is if you rewind one year, if we went back to March 2021, inflation in Australia was 1.1%, which is very, very low. By the end of the year, it was close to the sort of normal level, 3%. So central banks target between 2 and 3%. Then all of a sudden, come uh, two months ago, all of a sudden we hit 5%. If you go overseas to US and to Europe, it's at 8%. So all of a sudden, inflation has exploded across the world. And I think there's a whole range of reasons for that. Some of them are very obvious. One is just the money printing that's gone on over the last uh, two years, pumping money into propping up the economic system has been breathtaking in terms of the sheer amounts. The well-known one that we hear about regularly is the supply chain issues. You know, if you're ordering a new car, if you order, you know, all these supply issues of getting the products that you want to your doorstep, that's been a, a massive issue. Um, of course, that's largely been driven by COVID policies. Uh, the reality is that the war in Ukraine obviously is having an effect and <laughs> Vladimir Putin is going to cop a lot of the blame. But the reality is it's actually many of the sanctions that are being placed on Russia that are causing this inflation. <clears throat> so for example, Europe banned Russian oil you know, a few weeks back. And that, of course, leads to a spike in the oil price, which it flows through to all of us. Uh, you've had Shanghai in lockdown for months and months, which, of course, slows all the ports down. Uh, and therefore, you know, you, you, there's supply chain issues and prices go up. And then, of course, we've got the climate change uh, craziness going on at the moment. If people are watching these farmers over in Holland, whereby <clears throat> they're being told that a third of farmers are basically going to be shut down unless they can get their nitrogen emissions down to a very low level. I think they want to cut them by 50 to 75%. So that's going to lead to food shortages and therefore higher food prices. And then in Australia, more locally, of course, we've had the, the floods and you know, a huge amount of rain, which has caused the damage to lots of crops. So there's all these factors that have all literally, some of them were already brewing back in 2021. But some of them now have obviously exploded in 2022, both the, certainly the climate change ones and the war ones. And so that's what's driven it all up. Now, the response central banks have is they want to try and control inflation by reducing demand. That's how they try and bring it down. They certainly and where, where I think they're going to they're struggle here is because they can't fix any of these supply issues. It's not, not, not possible. So I think there are two scenarios going forward that we as individuals and investors, if you like, need to prepare for. One is that inflation stays stubbornly high. So we get a kind of period of stagflation, which is low growth, high inflation. And that means that the central bank is likely to probably continue putting up rates to try and control it. Then the other option, which is also quite plausible, is that they actually raise rates too quickly, driving us into recession. And that's what you're starting to see in the US now. The US is right on the edge of recession. And then they're forced to actually bring rates down <laughs> maybe later in the year or early next year to try and cushion all the falls. And you're already seeing the house price falls in Australia and uh, New South Wales and Victoria. So it, can go, it could go any way. 
But here's the dilemma that they have. The central banks have, have a really fine rope to, to walk here because on the one hand, there's so much debt out there. If they put up rates too much, they're going to cause a very deep recession, possibly, possibly worse. Or if they don't put them up enough, the inflation can continue to explode uh, out of control. Particularly inflation expectations is what they want to get under control. They don't want people assuming the prices are going to keep going up. Because if that happens, then it becomes self-fulfilling. So it's, it's very tough. But as I say to people, right, coming back to the start, as Christians, we shouldn't be trying to listen to people who are predicting the future. Okay, that's very, It's very dangerous and no one can do it with any regularity. So to me, the way Christians should operate, when you're making your financial decisions, you should be relying on a mix of godly wisdom from the counsel of you know other believers, people who've had good experience, have some wisdom in finances, get their wisdom and we should also be relying on the guidance of the holy spirit which of course you know involves us having to engage with god and asking for his wisdom so that's how we we handle these these uncertain periods because uh no one person has all the answers and as i say the experts often get it wrong so hopefully that that helps Graham's question um as i say i think there's always a bit of disappointment where everyone hopes that the economists actually actually know the future um Sadly, no doubt, that's, uh, not the case, and, and it's not, not true for me either. <laughs> no doubt, the experts work with modelling, and we often will hear about modelling. Modelling gives a range of scenarios, doesn't it? So, no guarantees that either model will work ultimately. So, uh, as you say, Alex, no one knows. And so, yes, thank you to Graham for that question. Talking about at the beginning of the year. Uh, talking about negative interest rates and now there's been multiple mortgage rate increases in just these last few months. Hey, let's let's move our, our thoughts to a, a new topic today, Alex. The thought of investing for beginners and uh, Christians often have different views about uh, wealth and wealth creation. Uh, some thinking that it's a sign of favour and uh, God's blessing. Others saying, well, hang on a second, you be, be very careful there. It's got a sinfulness about the accumulation of wealth. Christians ought to be very sensitive about these things. So investing for beginners, Alex, where do we start here in, in adjusting our mindset to a biblical way of thinking about investing? Mm, well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. We do need to get the biblical mindset right first before we've invested any money. And uh, there is that very strong divergence of views in the body of Christ, you know, as you, as you pointed out, very divergent there. Um, Look, I, I love a quote from John Wesley. He, he, he put out this quote, and it's, a, it's attributed to him, so I'm assuming it is in fact him, but many people would have heard a quote or very similar to this over the years. And he says, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So I think his point is, is a valid one, and that is that you, you've got to steward well what God's given you. And that if you're, looking, if you're living a uh, sensible Christian life, you're spending sensibly, more than likely you're going to make money and you're going to be able to save money. But then, of course, we don't want to just hold on to it for our own benefit. We've also got to give it as well. So there's, there's two parts to it. And I think that the danger when people think of wealth creation is they run the risk of accumulating without any purpose. And that can then fall into hoarding. You know, you keep building it up and you become a hoarder as opposed to purposeful saving with the with the view that someday that money is going to be used to, to meet a particular goal. Now, that could be something as simple as helping your own family and paying your kids schooling, or it could be more, you know, long-term retirement, or it could be much more kingdom-orientated, you know, supporting uh, ministries and various other activities. So that's, that's critical. Um, but the other danger, and I think many of the Bible passages about money 
they, they never warn us that money in itself is evil. It's just the the danger that we fall in love with it. And when we accumulate money, we often become prideful. And I think when we look at Australia today, um, as a nation, we we think we can do it without God. You know, people, the more money they have, they think they can do it on their own. They think they don't need God. And that's, I think, the real danger with it, both at an individual level and very clearly what we can see in Australia at a society level. So the starting point for a Christian investor is that they, they acknowledge that actually, you know what, the money I have is God's and I'm going to steward it for God's glory. So how, how I invest it, I need to be wise with it. I need to grow it. I need to give it and just have that sort of biblical mindset towards accumulation. Okay, let's talk about those investors. So people starting an investment portfolio, getting into some investing perhaps for the first time. Uh, what sort of major considerations are there, Alex? Mm, well, it, the probably the biggest one and one that's often overlooked by beginners is the time frame for which you're investing. Okay, so to invest successfully, you need a reasonable time frame, particularly if you're dealing in growth assets. So if you think about real estate or you think about shares, which are obviously both common investments, you need longer time frames. So a common thing is a 25-year-old will come up to me and say, Alex, you know, I've built up this money, uh, but I want to, and I want to buy a house in two years' time. You know, what should I do with it between now and then? Well, I say, well, look, your time frame is very short and therefore you can't afford to take risk with it you may as well keep it in the bank because in two years' time, it may well be that the stock market is down and you won't have enough money to buy your house. If they said to me, Alex, oh, actually, I don't really want to buy for 10 years, I could say, well, look, because it's a long way away, you can afford to take more risk and therefore your time frame is greater. Likewise, when we think about retirement, for most of us, our, our time frame to retirement or even just the duration of retirement itself is a, is a long time and therefore you can afford to take a bit more risk and therefore have more growth assets in there. So shares and, and property are, are more volatile, you know, they, they fluctuate in value and therefore you need to have a longer time frame with them, especially because of the transaction costs associated with them as well. So that's the first big one to think about, that time frame. And, and the second one, we can probably unpack this one a bit more later, is just is the risk. How much risk do you want to take? Um, how I, I When I talk to clients about this, I refer to it as the sleep at night test. How will you sleep at night knowing where your money's invested? And that can be based usually on their experience and their knowledge, but I try and help them to understand what the real risks are they're taking and what they can expect to happen going forward. And that's something you need to learn. What will my investments likely do in a good time, in saying good seasons and bad seasons? What, what are these investments likely to do? Um, but probably the biggest decision people need to make is why they're actually investing, having clear goals. Are you investing for income? So maybe you're listening to this call and you're thinking, you know, I'm 65, I'm about to retire. I need income. I need to fund my retirement. So I need a portfolio that's going to give me an income stream. On the other hand, you might be listening to this and you're 35 and you're thinking, oh, retirement's, you know, 20, 30 years away. Therefore, you need to grow your portfolio. You need to grow your wealth. And therefore, that's going to change the types of investments you choose. So everything's very circumstantial. Um, but and these are some of the, the important uh, considerations uh, you need to have when you're deciding how you're going to invest. 
Let's come back to the thought of risk for a few moments here because uh, for a lot of people, what we do with our money is is going to involve some sort of risk. Uh, Sometimes we might think about that Mm -hmm. as a step of faith even. Uh, Faith and risk are similar in Mm. some sense. But uh, what sort of risks you've got on the lookout for if you've got perhaps uh, an amount of money and you're thinking, I need to get into investing? Mm. Well, probably the greatest risk that we all face over the long term is inflation risk, okay? And the best way to explain inflation risk (coughs) is that you want to maintain the purchasing power of your money over the course of time, uh, particularly retirement. So let's give an example. Let's say you're listening here and you're thinking, I'm 60 years of age, and I think I'll probably live till I'm 90, so about 30 years. Um, based on the history of you know economics in Australia, inflation sits and is probably around 3% on average. So you would assume that over a 30-year retirement, so from age 60 to age 90, the cost of living will triple in that time. And therefore, when you're investing your money, you need to grow it so that it grows at a rate that's either equal to or greater than inflation. Now, that's particularly difficult at the moment because inflation is quite high and much higher than say what you get in the bank. But that to me is the biggest risk we, we face. We need to maintain the purchasing power of our money. And I always say to, to people that when you're thinking about creating an investment portfolio, you want to create one that has a growing income stream. In other words, the income from your portfolio goes up every year. So the best way to think of that, let's say you've got an investment property, well, you need to put up the rent every year, okay? So that way that the rent keeps pace with inflation at the very least. Likewise, if you've got a share portfolio, you need the dividends to increase every year. So that way your income is increasing and and you're maintaining the purchasing power of your money. That's really a critical thing. Um, the second risk I'll just draw people's attention to, because obviously we've got limited time, but the, the second big risk is interest rate risk. And that's a big risk at the moment. And that is what impact will interest rates have on, on your investment? So if we think about, say, investment property at the moment, if you're an investor and your property is generating a certain amount of cash flow, as interest rates rise, that's probably going to have two impacts. If you've got a mortgage on that property, then the cash flow is going to be diminished because you're going to be paying more out to the bank. And secondly, because interest rates are rising, that's likely to put a bit of a handbrake on house prices, if not cause cause them to fall, like what we're seeing in uh, Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. So interest rates will have that effect. They also affect shares because most companies that are listed on the stock market have a certain amount of debt. And if interest rates rise, that debt gets more expensive to maintain. And of course, therefore, their profitability goes down. So these are the kinds of things that you need to think through um, when you're investing. So it's not meant to be overly complex but you just need to understand these are the sorts of different risks uh, that you'll face uh, when you're investing. And there's also all sorts of ways you can deal with it too. Um, And the most common way being diversification. You know, you can diversify your portfolio to mitigate some of these risks that we all face. Alex, uh, almost out of time. Just quickly though, applying our Christian biblical understanding to getting into investing, if you're talking about being a beginner, uh, the sorts of things you might navigate so far as an ethical point of view around, uh, you know, a biblical standard and an idea if you want to do this righteously. How do you go about that? Mm. Look, it's a great question. And I say to people, this is one where it's really a conscience issue because it be- uh, it's between how you and God ultimately because it depends on how far you want to take it. So, for example, 
let's let's pick on the banks. Most of the Australian banks, often, if you think about the way the things they promote now in the media, often those values they promote, such as same-sex marriage, etc., are counter to Christian values. And so, does that mean Christians go and pull all their money out of the bank? No, not necessarily. And, and most Christians have their money in these banks. Does that mean you don't own the bank, as in you don't buy shares in the bank? So you can see here the issues that we need to grapple with at an individual level. They're quite uh, quite intense. Um, and the way I would say to people is that you can depends on how far you want to take it. I think as a good steward, you do need to be diligent and you do need to think through what you invest in. If you want to take a more active approach, then you need to be uh, invest directly. So you can choose specific investments like specific companies to buy or specific properties. I mean, the good thing about property is there's not the same sort of ethical issues attached to it. Um, But certainly with individual investments, you can choose more carefully ones and make sure they, they suit the ethics from which you're operating under. If, on the other hand, as most of us are through our superannuation, or most of us are invested through what we call managed fund type products, um, you have less control. And so it becomes much more challenging. Um, so the, the thing I would encourage listeners here is to firstly, to be diligent, to learn what your options are available to you so you can make well-informed uh, as and ethical as possible choices. Um, but also, as I say, at some point you have to decide um, how far you're going to take it because we do live in a fallen world and if you scratch the surface hard enough, you're going to find ethical issues with almost everything, <laughs> as I say, whether it's putting money in the bank to all sorts of issues. It's not as you know clear-cut and that's why I say it's a conscience issue and ultimately between you and God, <clears throat> but you do need to be diligent in the process. God wants us to be you know, thoughtful about how we're using his money. Well, Alex Cook, always great insights. And you take us into some depths there and understanding some biblical wisdom around finance and investing. Uh, Let me point listeners to how to connect with Alex Cook. He's the founder of Wealth With Purpose. There's a Wealth With Purpose website, wealthwithpurpose.com, and take advantage of some of those free resources you'll find on the Wealth With Purpose website. Follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. There's an askalex at wealthwithpurpose.com email address. And uh, always look forward to these updates each week. Alex Cook, thanks so much for joining us once again today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.